Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Cool. So tonight our topic is how are we helping to spread the gospel? And we're going to look at Titus 2, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now first, I want to start with, with, with saying, do as I say and not as I do. And, and who of us has heard that expression before? What do we think of a person that, that says something like that? Do we take their words to heart? Do we maybe regard that person as a hypocrite? Someone who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. And what if I were to say, do as I say and do as I do, wouldn't we be more willing to listen to, 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 to such a person and to follow that person? Because immediately when a, when a person when, when such a person teaches us something, there is more credibility to their words because now they are not only talking the talk, but they're walking the walk, practicing what they preach. They are a living example of their teaching. And, and when we come to church, we are looking for people like that. We are looking for people who practice what they preach. Everyone is looking for truth, absolute truth, the real thing. Because if church members' lives reflect what is being taught from the pulpit every Sunday, then there must be something there, something special. There must be something there in the teachings and the sermons. And that something is the word of God which contain the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So in church, we teach sound doctrine, which is based on the word of God. And we know that, that when we are saved, our lives are transformed. We go from, we move from faith into action. And these actions are based on sound doctrine, which is based on the word of God. So if you could imagine like a pyramid the base, the lowest level would be the word of God. On top of that would be the sound doctrine we get from it. And then on top of that would be our actions. Our right behavior comes from sound doctrine. You see, there's a link between faith and practice and between belief and behavior. So the way we view God, the way we understand him, the way we view the world that, if, whether it's biblical or not, the way we view God in the world will inevitably affect our belief and our actions. So for instance, if we believe that there is a God, we know that, that God is the ruler of the earth. He determines what is good and evil. He is the judge and we are the ones who are accountable to him. On the other hand, if we would believe that there is no God, then we would see humanity 
as the rulers of the earth. We would see ourselves as the ones who define what is good and evil. We will, in a, in a way, become selfish, self-centered, and not think that we are accountable to a greater being. But the point is, as Christians, as Christians, as believers, our actions are dependent on sound doctrine we get from, from Scripture. And there's that relationship between faith and works. So we know that faith without works is dead, and works without faith are dead. And my heart is to really encourage us this evening that it is sometimes hard to do good works, to obey the word, because we are sinners. We are sinners, therefore we sin. And this morning I incorrectly got it the other way around. So Brown, if you're listening, I'm sorry about that. I, I said that uh, we sin, therefore we are sinners, but there's an important difference. The, the real statement is, we are sinners, therefore we sin. And we live in a broken world, so it's difficult to always do the right thing to obey the word. But the effect that a person has, someone who walks in obedience to the word, the effect that that person has on spreading the gospel is profound. And Titus 2 will help us to see the big role we play in spreading the gospel. So this brings us to the preposition for tonight. If our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will help to spread the gospel. And before we go on, I want to explain some terms there. So exactly what do I mean with sound doctrine? How does it look like? So sound doctrine is all the teachings we find in the Bible. Sound doctrine keeps Jesus Christ central. Sound doctrine leads to consistent good behavior and actions, and sound doctrine promotes spiritual health. And how does sound doctrine look like? It is when we read our Bibles. It is when we study our Bibles. Anyone can do it, and that is what we also encourage in Bible school. We give, we give hints and, and tips like investing in a study Bible. It's a good starting point. And other hints like, you know, don't read verses in isolation, uh, taking it out of context. Rather read a chapter or more at a time. Sound doctrine reminds me of the parable that Jesus taught about the wise man that built on the rock. And Jesus and his teachings are the rock. Our part is to build on it, to obey his teaching, obeying sound doctrine. And sound doctrine only becomes fruitful once we actually practice it. It doesn't help we know what the Bible says, but we don't apply it. And then, what is the gospel? So broadly speaking, the gospel is the whole of scripture, the Bible. More narrowly, it's speaking about the good news of the salvation that Jesus Christ brings. So the gospel is the word of God, all its teachings, and then the gospel is what we base our sound doctrine on. So throughout the sermon, when I refer to the gospel, I am referring to the Bible, Old and New Testament. So before we continue, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can hear from your word. Thank you that you are 
with us, Lord. We are so dependent on you, Holy Spirit, to come and open the word for us, to come and speak with our hearts, come purify our thoughts, Lord. I pray that you would work in us tonight and really lead us. Thank you that we can depend on you as our rock. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight we're, leading, we're reading from the book of Titus. Now, it might be a bit of an obscure book or a hidden book, but before we go on, I want to just say this. The, the Word of God is infallible. It does not fail. It is eternal. The Word of God is inerrant. It doesn't contain errors. The Word of God has divine authority because it is from God who has divine authority. It is sufficient. The word is sufficient for us. It is all that we need to know God truly. If you are sitting at home and you are wondering what is God's will for your life, then you only need to read your Bible. I mean, reading books by secular or Christian authors, reading from, from secular Christian sources, authors like John Piper or, or Francis Chan, it is good and well, but it doesn't come close to the Bible. And if you're at a point where you're actually more reading from, from secular Christian sources and you're not really getting to the word, then that's a bit of a problem. And even if we read a passage that's not well known, the Bible is still God's living word today and it's still relevant for us now in 2021. So in this book of Titus, what we have here is the Apostle, the Apostle Paul who wrote this pastoral letter to his disciple, his co-worker, his, one of his most closest and trusted companions, Titus. And he wrote this letter, Paul wrote this letter in, in approximately AD 64, so that was close to the end of Paul's life. It was a couple of years before Paul's final imprisonment in Rome and his eventual execution. And earlier, during one of Paul's missionary journeys, Paul and Titus, they established new churches on the island of Crete. Now, Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, south of Greece. And Paul then left Titus on Crete, and, and Titus was then basically placed there to, to lead the churches and to establish church order. And after a while, after some time, Titus started experiencing a problem in the form of false teachers. These false teachers would teach the people lies. They would also, the, the, the false teachers themselves would live ungodly lives. And, and, and by looking at their lives, you could see that they did not know Jesus. So Paul then wrote this letter to instruct Titus and help him to lead these churches to take care of the people and to deal with this problem of the false teachers. Now, in this specific passage that we'll be reading uh, the, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, here Paul is instructing Titus on how proper Christian living should look like, in contrast with the false teachers, and, and what effect this Christian living has. There is this theme in the passage that good works have an important place in the lives of believers. And in the ancient, ancient world, uh, on the, the, the people on the island of Crete, they were known for their immorality, like any pagan city in, in, in the ancient times in that area. But 
the, the, the unbelieving inhabitants of Crete, they were known for their dishonesty, their unreliability, their gluttony and their laziness. But Paul still had the expectation that the gospel had the power to produce godly lives in everyday life. So let me read for us Titus chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So from this passage we see that the teaching of sound doctrine leads to right behavior. But how will this help to spread the gospel? This leads me to the first point. If our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will honor the gospel. And for this, I'm just going to read verse 3, and f- 3 to 5 again. You won't see it on the screen. Just, just uh, listen. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive, to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So here Paul instructs the older and the younger women. Now, what age classifies as older? I won't dare to debate that. But let's just say that these older women are more mature believers. They are spiritually more mature. And spiritual maturity, in any case, is not always related to one's physical age. You can have old believers who are immature, spiritually immature, and you can have very young believers who are spiritually mature. But in any case, these women are are encouraged to honor God in the way they live. They are not to be slanderers, meaning they are not to speak badly about other people. They are not to be addicted to alcohol. And we understand this. This makes sense. We can agree that this is right behavior. The older women are called to live out practically the sound doctrine that they have learned from Titus. These women are to learn sound doctrine, live it, and then to teach it to the next generation, to the younger women. And this is is what they're called to, to teach the younger women. The younger women or to love their husbands and children. 
They are called to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, to be kind and submissive to their husbands. And again, we understand the right behavior. It is about women being godly wives and godly mothers. Now, this passage does not mean that women are not allowed to work outside the home or to contribute to the household income. It's just stressing the fact and the instruction that, that women are to take care of their homes. Mothers are to, wives and mothers are to take care of their homes and their children. Additionally, women should support their husbands who are the leaders of the household. Interestingly, the things that the older women are to teach the younger ones are the same things that the older women are to understand and practice themselves. Because how are you to expect someone to teach something which they don't understand and don't practice themselves? The point is that there is a responsibility on more mature believers to teach the younger believers. It can't be the responsibility of the pastor or even the elders alone. Furthermore, in this passage, we see that the responsibility of the younger generation, the younger women, the younger believers, are to learn from the words and the examples of the older, older women or the mature believers. They are to learn from them and then also apply it in their lives, practice it themselves. Because there's much wisdom to be extracted from older believers, mature believers. So we see here this instruction to have a humble heart. So actually it can apply to all believers, old or young. You, we need to have teachable hearts, humble hearts that are willing to learn from others and not prideful, arrogant hearts. Jesus was in fellowship with his disciples, spending time with them, traveling with them, ministering with them, eating with them, and then also teaching them. And then what does he do at the end of Matthew 28? He sent the disciples to make more disciples, to baptize them, and to teach these new disciples all that Jesus had commanded. Right living is built on the foundation of sound doctrine, but it all happens in the environment of relationships. And we see that with the older and the younger women. We see that with Jesus and his disciples. Each age and gender group has their own lessons to learn, their own part to play. Older believers are to teach the young ones setting the example, and then reaching the generations. This is done through fellowship, through accountability, by reading the word together, by studying it together. It is done in church, in small group, at home, at work, on missions. So with all that we have just discussed here now, we need to ask the question, why is this important? What is at stake here? And we read it at the end of verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
Thus, if our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will honor the gospel. How else can we help to spread the gospel? Second point, if our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will silence the gospel's opponents. And I'm just going to read for us verses 1 to 2 and 6 to 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So as the case with the women, the older men are to live out the gospel that they have learned from Titus. Older men are encouraged to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. They are called to have a vibrant faith, a deep-rooted love and endurance. You see, like the older, spiritually mature women, the older men are called to be the moral and spiritual examples. Just in this case, they are, they are to be the examples to the young men, these, these older men. The older men are called to be the, respons the responsible and sensible ones. Again, Paul instructs Titus and indirectly the older men to teach the young ones to be self-controlled with teachings that are biblical and which cannot be condemned or criticized. So in both word and deed, the older men's integrity, dignity, good works are to be modeled to these young men. And why is this important? What is at stake here? We read it at the end of verse 8. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. If our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will silence the gospel's opponents because we actually practice what we preach. There is merit and truth to this Bible we are reading. How else can we help to spread the gospel? So this is the third and last point. If our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will attract unbelievers to the gospel. So for this, I'm just going to read verses 9 to 10 again. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So in this passage, Paul moves from the women, he moves from the men, and he addresses the slaves. The slaves are encouraged to be submissive to their masters, to be well-pleasing, to not be argumentative, to not steal, and to show that they can be fully trusted, that they are trustworthy. So in our context, we can replace the words bondservants or slaves, we can replace that with the word employees. And we can replace the word masters with employers. Why are these instructions 
to the slaves important? What is at stake here? Again, we read in verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. As employees, and I know most of us are, we can give powerful testimonies to the gospel by our obedience and our faithfulness at work. By doing our best and being trustworthy, and not just when the boss is looking, we can show the attractiveness of the gospel and lead people to Christ. Now, I don't mean that through our work ethic, people can be saved directly. What I mean is that when we have this work ethic and people, unbelievers at work, see it, then they are prompted to ask questions like, what does that person have? Why is that person so joyful? Why does that person have peace? What is happening there? What is, there's something special there. And that's then when unbelievers are prompted to ask the question, to, to go to a small group, to go to church and really look for that absolute truth, that real thing that they can see in the life of that believer at work. I mean, how much time do we spend at work in any way? What a great missions field it is where we can live out the gospel and set the example there. Of course, now we are experiencing a new challenge where most of us are working from home. So we don't have that direct interaction with our colleagues as we had previously. So it's definitely something that we have to think about, that we have to pray about on how to engage with our colleagues through social media, Zoom, teams. But nevertheless, we can still work faithfully, do our jobs well, deliver our best, and so help to spread the gospel. As mentioned earlier, everyone in the world is looking for absolute truth, the real thing, and this absolute truth is the word of God. It can change one's life, one's behavior, one's actions, and people can see it. If our behavior is based on sound doctrine, we will attract unbelievers to the gospel. And it's important to remember who is behind the sound doctrine, who is behind the word of God, and that person is Jesus. So it's not that we are attaching to teachings, but we are attaching to a person of Jesus Christ, the truth, the way, and the life. So in conclusion, you can see there the proposition, the three points. Right teaching leads to right living, which proves the gospel. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, if you're old or young, if you are an employee or working at home. The way we live can help to spread the gospel when we bring honor to it, when the opponents to it are silenced and when it attracts unbelievers. But it starts with sound doctrine. Studying our Bibles. Let us take what we learn from Scripture and run with it. We cannot expect only Brown and the other leaders to teach sound doctrine, to live it out practically. We all have a part to play to teach others to set the example. Let us take up that responsibility. And remember that we are not doing this alone. We are in fellowship, in community. We are a congregation that is united. 
Let us take that person who is on our hearts and walk with them, doing life together, studying the word together. Jesus set the, perf- the, the, Jesus set the perfect example in discipleship. Let us follow him. Additionally, we all have a part to play to remain humble and teachable. And not to be prideful and arrogant. We can learn from each other. This is how the church grows spiritually. And through this passage we read in Titus, there are a lot of commands, what to do and what not to do. And if you're sitting at home and you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sins, that's a good thing. That's exactly what happened to me as I was preparing the sermon because I need to repent every day. So if you experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, let us repent of our sins and turn to Jesus. May we go out and change the expression, this expression of do as I say, not as I do. Let us change that expression to do as I say and as I do. Let me close for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know that you have given us your word to to lead us. It is all that we need to know you truly and to walk according to your will. Thank you that you haven't left us without an instruction manual in this world, that you haven't left us without direction, but you have blessed us with your word. And Jesus, you came and set the example of how to apply it. You are the very embodiment of the word of God. You are the living word. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge that we are so dependent on you to to follow you. We are dependent on your teachings. You are the rock. May we grow in studying your word, in studying your teachings. But more than that, may we grow in applying it, in knowing that we are all playing a part in spreading the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And that, Lord, you know we are not perfect. We are sinners Therefore, we sin and we are dependent on your grace, your blood, Lord Jesus, every day. Thank you for the cross, the open grave. You've defeated sin and death and we honor and praise you for that. Lord, we pray that you would guide us through this week and Lord, we just wanna honor you for for who you are, what you've done. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.